0: This week's episode is sponsored by K16 Solutions. Institutions that are using Canvas and Banner have good reason to be excited. K16 Solutions, the company that brought the industry's first automated LMS migration and archiving options, now offers a data integration solution. Scaffold Data X is a new solution that extracts data from Canvas and Banner, places it in a neutral data model, and stores it in a data warehouse. The result is a cleaner view of the data. If your institution is looking for a better way to integrate its data, visit k16solutions.com. Welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where each week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm an editor and a reporter here at EdSurge. We are a nonprofit newsroom covering education at all levels. Students these days are often pretty terrible at sorting out true facts from misinformation online and on social media. That's according to many research studies. But it's often not because students aren't good at critical thinking, according to Mike Caulfield, a research scientist at University of Washington's Center for an Informed Public. Instead, he says they just need a little bit of guidance on how to approach the flood of text, images, and websites that we all encounter on a daily basis. And that guidance is only going to get more important now that ChatGPT and other AI tools are in the mix. Caulfield recently teamed up with Stanford University professor Sam Weinberg to compile that guidance for students and anyone out there struggling to cope with today's information landscape. The result is the new book, Verified how to think straight, get duped less, and make better decisions about what to believe online. For this week's episode, I connected with Caulfield to talk about his strategies for managing that flood of information, which he boils down to four basic rules in a framework called SIFT. As you'll hear, each letter in this word, SIFT, reminds readers of something that he thinks they should quickly do to evaluate whatever they come across online. And as you know, we are talking about AI so much these days. So I was curious to hear how he thinks ChatGPT will impact efforts by educators to teach information literacy. To start the story, let's go back to the year 2016. That's when Mike Caulfield's co-author from Stanford came out with a study that got a lot of attention in the popular press. It showed just how bad a group of college students were at figuring out if an article or image they came across was a work of credible journalism or misinformation meant to mislead them. The study involved students from Stanford University, who you would think would know better. So it led to headlines like this one in the Wall Street Journal at the time. Most students don't know what news is fake, Stanford study finds. Mike Caulfield notes that at that moment in 2016, people were especially concerned about this issue of spotting fake news.
1: Uh, Yeah, so it went viral uh, because uh, people were really bad at this. And also the study came out at a time when, of course, what was going on in the world was we were seeing uh, real life evidence with all this stuff around, uh, you know, fake news headlines where uh, Hillary murdered an FBI agent in their sleep uh, or, you know, Donald uh, Trump was endorsed by the Pope. And people were trying to make sense of what was going on there. And I think what that study clued us into, was that people hadn't suddenly gotten worse at critical thinking. Like that wasn't, like there wasn't suddenly a a massive decline in critical thinking. Uh, That people had, were just applying approaches to information uh, on the internet that weren't really appropriate to the internet. That people were applying some of these pre-internet approaches Um, uh, that that weren't really applicable. So, you know, uh, one of the examples I use is, you know, if you imagine you get a book from, you know, Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore, right, and arrives on your doorstep, um, you know, you don't come and look at that book and say, say, ah, who wrote this? Why, Why did they write it? Like, you already know that. By the time information, you know, Usually, by the time published information in a previous age, by the time published information reached you, you already had a bunch of context about it. You know if you subscribe to a paper you wouldn 't you wouldn 't be like what is this <laughs> what is this paper like what town is this paper from yeah, what what new york Times where is new York uh, yeah. yeah what is the new york times if, if, it, if, it, if you were receiving that information you 'd already gain the context to understand what that information was on the internet of course, what's happening repeatedly is people are presented with information and they have no context about that information at all, but they act as if it's a subscription to the New York Times, right? You know, uh, that, that, that this is something, or, or that it's a book that they just opened off their own bookshelf, you know? And, and, and so they immediately proceed to these questions of, oh, does the argument in this book make sense? Oh, uh, you know, how do I feel about this article? Um, uh, whereas the first question is where did this come from, uh, and and uh, when you're looking at a claim like what what do other people say about this, and so we're we're kind of skipping a step here, uh, and that's one of I think the main uh, uh, aspects of the book is to try to get people to stop uh, skipping that step and get them to realize that the internet is a place that is unlike uh, the the traditional world of publication. Um, it's a little more like the world of uh, you know, verbal rumor uh, in, in part of the stuff that we pull into the book. Um, one, one of the things I, I think I found is that once you sort of retool people's expectations and show them some very quick tricks, people get it pretty quickly because um, we actually do kind of have a model for the internet world in that um, world is more akin to uh, the world of uh, verbal rumor where where uh, information is coming to you and you're not quite sure what the origin is and you realize, so, you know, if you're getting a rumor, you realize that, you know, someone says, oh, you know, did you hear that Bob's suspected of embezzling some money? You know, your first question, your first thing is not, your <laughs> first thing is, I mean, you may be a little shocked, but your first thing is in like, oh, Bob's a hard, that's horrible, Bob's a horrible person. first thing is oh wh- where'd you hear that right That's your first when when you're dealing with things off the internet, when you're dealing with things uh, you know in the world that that doesn't look like publication, your first in- instinct is oh where'd you hear that from? Who told you that but somehow on the internet uh because it's printed because it looks so polished, because everything has this sort of sheen of authority, uh people skip that step, so we show them the way to have that what I think is. An uh, in instinctual reaction in other domains. We show them how to how to do that on the internet through these various techniques and quick searches.
0: Yeah, and and I want to move on to some of your techniques in a second. But first off, first off, like we've been talking about the past on you know this study from several years ago. How do you think? How do you think we're doing? You know, since then, uh, if we did this, did, are things much different today than they were in 2016? As far as people having a good you know, students and others at, at sort of parsing all this information coming at us?
1: Yeah, so uh, I don't think it will surprise people. Uh, people are still are still bad at this. Uh, <laughs> if you take any population that hasn't been taught these skills, um, you know, they're still bad at it. And I think it's important to say they're bad at it in a couple ways. I mean, one way we think about is, well, they, they get fooled, right? But another way is they often dismiss things that are quite real as being fake right and, and so it's easy to say oh well people you know, some people say well people are more suspicious now and they're more worry now and they're more careful now but that's not necessarily a good thing if people are looking at things that are, are very much real um, and in, in, in some cases sort of press pressing social issues um, regard pressing social issues and, um, and they're discarding them. So, so I, I, do think that, I do think that people are a little more suspicious of stuff on the Internet now. But the point is not to make people more suspicious of things on the Internet. The point is to make people more discriminating about things on the Internet. And in that piece, um, again, I don't think that people have gotten better about that. They may be more inclined to say, well, I don't trust that. But they're less inclined to figure out, you know, in any dependable way, uh, whether they should trust it, and that's the uh, that's the piece that um, that's the piece that we still need to work on. Oh, wow, this is so interesting.
0: You know, there was something at, near the end of the book that I'm going to just skip to the to the end here with one of the things you points you make in the conclusion. But you propose a term I hadn't heard before. You propose something called critical ignoring and that 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 i think it's a little bit related to what you're talking
1: about here like what what do you, what is critical ignoring and why is that something you're highlighting yeah so critical nor ignoring and i'm going to uh uh sam the is a term uh sam came up with uh but it's a term uh about a concept that we both care very much about um which is that um uh it, it one of the primary things you're doing when you're reading on the Internet is you're trying to decide if something's worth your attention or not. In fact, it's it's probably the skill that you apply the most because uh, the Internet is relatively unfiltered. Uh, I mean, it's, it's filtered by algorithms and so forth, but, you know, compared to something like a traditional paper or a book or something, it's relatively unfiltered. Uh, and you're making the decision about what to read and, and not. You're constantly leafing through uh, these sorts of things. Um, and so, uh, when you apply SIFT, um, one of the questions you're usually asking yourself is, is this, is this worth my attention? And, uh, the answer, if you're, you know, if you're going to have any semblance of a day where you're not just constantly reading social media, the answer is, is usually No. Right. Like uh, uh, only a small fraction of things online are probably worth your attention. Um, and so critical ignoring, um, the idea of critical ignoring is that, um, again, in, in these sort of traditional models we've taught students, the idea we've often unintentionally given students is that, oh, you, <laughs> you, the way you solve any problem is by giving it like deep Critical attention—that's what you need to do. And of course, this is disastrous on the internet. You know, if if you, for example, uh, tell a student—you know—a student sees something that's sort of, uh, a sees something that's Holocaust denialism, right? Uh, and and uh, you know, if your if your advice for the student is, oh, well. <laughs> you know, take an hour, engage deeply with this person's arguments, uh, uh, follow the chains of thoughts, thought, you know, uh, 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 see what they're, see what they're citing. I mean, that's horrible, horrible advice, uh, because what you can see is if you, if you do lateral reading, if you do SIFT, you immediately go and you can see, oh, well, this person denies the Holocaust. This person, you know, is, um in admitted uh in admitted white supremacist. Uh this person is probably not worth my time, right? Unless, you know, if I'm a student of this stuff, if I'm a scholar, maybe, but for me, no, this this person's not gonna add anything to my understanding in life. And so uh, it it that's hard. That's really hard for academics to wrap their head around that like the answer to every question is not just apply deep attention. Um but attention is your limited resource. Uh, I, I, I think we've talked about this before uh, in some stuff uh, that I, I wrote previously for EdSurge. Uh, but you know, I, I have this phra- a phrase: uh, "Attention is the scarcity." Right? Information is abundant. You know, just you know, I, I have behind me. I, I know this is a, not a visual podcast, but uh, if you look behind me right now on my bookshelf, and this is my smaller bookshelf, I've got um, probably three four years of reading on that if I spent nothing but my time reading, right?
0: Yeah, it's a colorful, yeah, it's a lot of bookshelves behind you. I can I can describe it for people, yeah.
1: So um so information's not information's not the scarcity, right? Your attention is the scarcity. You're figuring out what to apply your attention to. And if there's one thing we want to teach students, it's how to better choose what to invest their in te- attention and time in. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting that, you know, you're sort of saying that
0: like the old ways of of reacting to new information are just you have to just use different rules now with the internet and all the changes coming at us with social media and that you know it's not just suspect everything cuz there there's a there's an overreaction that can come from that and it's also not just you know like take in everything with a deep critical eye and just spend time with everything um, that and so it, it takes kind of having some ability to very quickly make decisions about what to care about. So let's talk about this. The, you've mentioned it, SIFT, um, the, the the tools that you've kind of come up with um, t- to help people do this to try to react to the world of information flying at us. In a nutshell, what's the you know what is what is this this framework?
1: Yeah, so in a nutshell, uh, um, which, which is the which is description of SIFT, we tried to really encapsulate um, what are the, the core things that people do uh, when trying to uh, really get context around information that has been decontextualized. Uh, the first thing is stop, uh, and you don't have to stop every, every time, but stop is a reminder that when you feel something is particularly compelling or interesting, uh to stop and ask yourself if you if you know what you're looking at and that distinction is important a lot of people say oh stop and figure out whether this thing is true or not and that's for us that's not the first step Uh, for us the first step is asking yourself do i know what i'm looking at that's where most people go wrong most people think oh well i'm looking at a local newspaper and it's like no actually it's like a it's like a partisan blog, or or oh, I'm I'm looking at a photograph, uh, a recent photograph from 2023, and uh, it's like no, you're looking at a 2011 photograph. Something happened in Germany, not the U.S. So uh, the first thing is like stop and ask yourself: Do you know what I'm looking at? Do I know where it came from? Do I know anything about this subject? Right. Um, the second is investigate the source, and we're not talking here about Pulitzer Prize-winning investigations. We're just talking about um, like. Is this a reporter or is this a comedian? <laughs> you know, like because that's going to make a difference in how you interpret like their breaking news item. Uh, is this um, uh, uh, is this a, a scholarly work? Is this something else? Um, uh, is um, uh, is this person a conspiracy theorist? Does this person have? Is this person in what we call a position to know uh, through? expertise, uh, through uh, professional experience, uh, through being a direct witness to something? Uh, Or is this a person that is really, has no better idea of the situation than you do, and is maybe not worth your time? Uh, If that source is not really substantially strong, right? You know, if that source, you know, if you're uh, you're looking at that source and they're not a substantially strong source, uh, then we ask, uh, just go and find something else. And this is kind of fits into the critical ignoring thing. One of the things we found with students is they often seemed um, bound to the first source that they hit. And actually, I I know that every composition instructor uh, that is listening to this will identify with this, that the students find that first hit uh, and it kind of deals with the topic. And they're like, that's that's my source. and what we're trying to do uh, with with the uh, with the uh, F in in uh, sift which is find better coverage is say like step back a second and ask yourself if the thing that came to your doorstep is not really the best source or uh, or a good enough source for you um, go out do a search and we show the techniques to to find better information and get uh, get a source that actually um, is gonna respect your respect your time, uh, that you can trust, that is in a position to know. Uh, and getting into this habit of not locking on to the first thing that you see, uh, the first thing that comes through your social media feed, and sort of zooming out, looking around and seeing uh, what's out there and getting something else is, is really important. Uh, it's important in a second way too, which is we ask students not only to um, go out and find another source. But when they look at the variety of sources out there, we give them techniques to sort of scan those search pages and understand sort of the universe of discourse on the subject. So, you know, you're going out and you're trying to find a, a different source on whether you see something that says that coal, uh, coal-fired coal plants are responsible for 300,000 U.S. deaths a year. Um, but it comes through an advocacy site, you know, uh, which isn't perfect. I'm not saying, like, green pieces are, are lying, it's just, it's not your best first stop, right? Uh, so you zoom out, and you try to find a different source on that. Um, two things that you're doing. One, you're trying to find the source that you're, you're going to invest your time in, but you're also looking at that set of search results, and you're trying to get a sense of, on that search page, uh, do I see a lot of stuff that looks reputable, or am I seeing just a lot of Pinterest links, <laughs> you know, or a, or, a, or a lot of YouTube videos with you know that that are uh, uh, out there? What what, what does the sort of universe of discourse around this subject look like? And then the final um, the final piece is uh, 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 trace, which is uh, trace claims, quotes, and context to the original uh, source. And this is um, not always necessary, but one of the things we often found was that students would see a tweet or a post or a TikTok that is citing some piece of information that is supposedly authoritative. uh, And they would just stop there and they say, well, this this says that the New York Times said X. It's like well you can't actually do that like the, the person on TikTok saying the New York Times said this is not that's that's not where you stop you've got to go upstream you've got to go find that article um and again uh I I I think every um every composition instructor instructor listening to this will either be uh um uh nodding their head or or crying or laugh crying sadly uh, as I, as I say these things, so so the the, the good advice for uh, for for your for your for your aunt or your or your friend, uh, but uh, we've also found that uh, they they do address some of the really simple errors that students make uh, during research uh, as well. Uh, errors that when we look at them on the other end, we think, oh, this student is a horrible critical thinker. Uh, but it's not. It's not that they're a horrible critical thinker. We have re- so much research to show this. It's that um, it's the problem's simpler than that. Just very early in their in their sort of search information seeking strategy, um, uh, they they made wrong steps, uh, and and that ended up you know in a paper that makes them look like they don't know what the heck they're talking about. Uh, but really, very often, the, 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 the genesis of that era, uh was, um, was simple things they did wrong on the internet. After the break, what about ChatGPT and other new AI models?
0: Do they make this battle against misinformation even harder? Stay with us. What do UC Riverside, University of Memphis, and the University of Oklahoma all have in common? Well, they and hundreds of other institutions have used K16 solutions to help them migrate to Canvas from their legacy LMS provider. And now, K16 solutions is solving even more problems for Canvas customers. Canvas institutions that are also using Ellucian Banner can finally integrate their data for a comprehensive 360 view. Gone are the days of integration solutions that take months and years to implement or that require extensive institutional resources to build reporting. Scaffold Data X by K16 Solutions extracts and integrates data from Canvas and Banner, places it in a neutral data model, and stores it in a data warehouse. The result is a cleaner, more accurate view of your institutional data. Scaffold Data X implementation takes just a few days. All data is updated near real time and every data point in Canvas and Banner can be captured. If your institution is looking for a better way to integrate your data, visit k16solutions.com. Now back to the episode. There's so much at stake because it's not just whether their paper is any good or, or garbage, because we all live in this world that's coming at us with all this um information that's trying in some cases to mislead. I think there's a really interesting point you make if I understand you correctly in the book and in some of the things I've heard you say where it's not that it's not that it's either all truth versus lie but it's understanding the agenda of the person that's or the you know the the source that that is that you're seeing and that if you understand that agenda then you may not discount it like you said you may not but you'll put it in, you know, you'll kind of process it appropriately. And that, I guess, the one thing that I get personally kind of discouraged as I go out on the internet and do my job and just exist and social media is that there are plenty, and it seems like a growing um, number of, of sources that are trying to manipulate and then are trying to persuade or that, or frankly, even if they're not trying to do that, it's just, there's so much chance with the algorithms for this to happen, for for people to misread what they're getting and it having a real impact. And so I guess I wanted to just actually have you react to, yes, these these techniques are, are super valid, but are you, is there anything that could be done at the source level, say, of like the, the internet and social media to kind of to, to sort of stop this onslaught. Is it all up to us as the, the user to constantly be so vigilant or is there, is there some other piece that,
1: that needs to be there
0: for this to really work?
1: In a word, in a word, uh, you know, um, the answer to the question is it all, should it be all be up to us? The answer is is, is clearly no, right? It shouldn't. Um, and I think this has been one of the struggles, you know, more recently, um, I think most people want platforms to try to surface things that are relevant to them and also want them to surface, you know, higher quality stuff. Uh, And and I think we've gotten into this kind of dumb debate about whether platforms that surface higher quality information are like censorship or something or, or something like that. And that's kind of, that's kind of hindered, I think, some of the, um, hindered some of the some of the conversation uh here and in, in,
0: um just to, just to highlight that in other words just to, i mean it's really interesting so in other words these debates these almost culture warish things that go on about whether platforms are too left-leaning in what they surface but you're saying that's that's kind of putting it framing it as a a partisan thing where actually the algorithms are often working from a quality thing.
1: They're often they often are. I mean, so it, it, and sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're working from an engagement thing, and that's that's on the platforms, right? Sometimes things can really be biased, and I, so I, I don't I don't discount uh, that as a as a piece of it too. But um, I, I, what I, what I'm saying more precisely is that that larger sort of very engaged, very um, uh, you know aggressive debate. I think has chilled the has chilled any inclination the platforms might have to to do a better job surfacing quality information because because these things end up being intertwined and so I don't see uh, as much as I do think it's on the platforms to think about like what their users want, which is stuff that's relevant stuff that that I think supports my values, right? I think that's a piece of it. Like, I, I, I do understand that people, um, you know, of of a left or right persuasion, they want to go online, and they'd like to read things from perspectives that speak through their values. That's absolutely, absolutely valid. Um, but people also do want to see quality stuff, stuff they can trust, I, that, that used to be uncontroversial. Um, and I, I just think that, In the immediate future at least as long as we're still engaged in this sort of um as long as we're still engaged in this as long as it's still framed as this culture war i don't i don't think we're going to start getting better quality stuff from the platforms anytime soon so so i um i agree that it's on the the platforms to to do a better job at this, but I I I think if you're if you're concerned about the immediate future, I would not wait for that. I think I would learn to navigate the internet uh, as it stands right now, um, and then I I I, I hope um, that we can have um, you know as more people think about the problems of navigating uh, this 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 uh, sometimes confusing world of of the web. Um, I I hope we we can also start to have better conversations about the about the web uh you know maybe maybe that's uh maybe that's a maybe that's a, a stretch goal for the book uh is is um you know in learning some of the difficulties of navigating this space I think maybe we can also imagine um imagine a a a a, a better web a, um that that really that really again respects um the things we value about the web and, and being able to find the information that we need and we want and that serves our interests. Um, but also real, recognizes that the web as it stands now um, just confuses the heck out of a lot of people uh when they're when they're trying to make sense of it. And um yeah. So long-term stretch goal, uh uh maybe have better conversations about the web. Uh, near-term goal: um, uh, get people the information they need to navigate it as it stands now. So,
0: as we as we talk, you know, the the web is now the old technology, and the new one is AI and ChatGPT. As far as what people are are sort of, you know, the ChatGPT, the chatbot um, that is suddenly, you know, came out in November, which is you know about. Um, 11 months ago as we talk here. And it has really caused such an uproar, especially in education circles, as you know. So I guess I want to talk a little bit because you do address this in a afterword to the book that y'all, it seems like you put in, you and your co-author after you'd maybe finished it and turned it in because publishing schedules are what they are, but you do address it. And I, I wanted to just give you a chance here to talk about, okay, so now we have these chatbots, these um, large language models, AI models. First of all, I really thought you had a very clear spoken way of explaining how a large language model works compared to the web. So could you actually do, would you like humor me and just lay that out really quickly and explain, you know, kind of what, what it really is at heart. And then I've, then we can talk a little bit about like how to approach it as an information literacy, um, you know, as a consumer of
1: information. You know, first very broadly, uh, a large language model isn't thinking in any sense that we normally define thinking. Uh, what it's doing is it's putting together uh, um, uh, the, for any given piece of, of text, including your question, it's it's uh, putting together a model of the things that people would likely say in response to that text, right? Um, uh, and it's doing that in a statistical way. And the, I think the way the, the, the analogy we give it in the book is uh, if you think about your, your phone's um, um, autocomplete, right? And, uh, you know, so you, you go and you say, press, uh, type Mike, and then, um, uh, you know, you just hit, you know, the, the one of those next three words that he, he pop up on um, uh, uh, auto uh, autocomplete, you know, and it ends up saying something like, Mike's battery needs a new charge or something. And that's because uh, there's a lot of sentences uh, that, you know, begin with that, right, and sort of flow into that. Maybe that's something uh, that I happen to say a lot on text or something. Um, Now, when you look at a large language model, of course, it's a much more complex uh, operation. It's got, uh, you know, a lot more text, a lot more processing power. Um, and it doesn't only look forward, like like what's the next word, it kind of looks back, has a way of looking backwards, but it's sort of the same thing. Uh, you know, if, if you say something like, um, you know, what are the three reasons that uh, the Roman Empire, um, uh, for, the, for the decline of the Roman Empire, right? Um, it looks at that decline of the Roman Empire, three reasons, and it, it comes up with some predictive text on, hey, you know, in, in places where people are talking about the decline of the Roman Empire and they're talking about reasons and they're talking, they have this word three, like what are some of the sorts of things that people say? And, um, and it just kind of does that on sort of multiple, multiple levels. So it, it presents a, a, a pretty compelling uh, answer. It can be good at summary where there's a lot of text uh, to to to, uh, put together, um, uh, to a lot of text for it to, to pull from, um, but, uh, you know, it it has some flaws, and the biggest flaw is that it doesn't really have communicative goals, right? It doesn't really know what it's saying. Um, it doesn't. Um, it's not able to evaluate things in the way a human is. Uh, because all this is really doing is telling you, hey, in the places where people tend to talk about three reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, here are the sorts of things that it, it tends to say. And it has a little randomness. It, it can find sort of new things. But, uh, you know, at heart, um, it's, it's, it's really just a model of things people say. And there's a couple things wrong with that. One, people say dumb things a lot, right? Uh, uh, and two... Um, it, it um, you know, w- without understanding the point of the thing that you're doing, uh, it can go astray, and, and that is not as big a problem for experts in a field because you know if, if you're an expert in something, you go to ChatGPT and you type something in, um, you can see pretty immediately. Uh, oh, actually, this is a helpful summary, or oh, this this is no, this has things wrong. But it's not great for novices, and that's the problem. I think people have got this upside down. People think, "Oh, well, ChatGPT is going to help a novice be like an expert, right?" Uh, but in reality, it's ChatGPT and LLMs are good for experts because they can see when this thing is 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 clearly spouting out bullshit. Uh, but they're horrible for novices, and and so one of the things that we talk about in the book is in this world of ChatGPT, the the it just makes sift and lateral reading. All the more important, one of the key points that we've made since that twenty sixteen study by Sam throughout the book is that just because something looks authoritative is is not enough. you don't want to dive in and say, "Does this make sense? Does this feel like it makes sense which is our which is usually our um, which is usually our instinct um, chat g p t in other LLMs make it possible for anyone to look like they know what they're talking about. Um, and it gives a sort of surface that looks that looks very impressive. And so it makes it all the more important that when you see something online, uh, that you not say, oh, is this a scholarly tone? Does this have footnotes? Um, those things are meaningless now. Uh, in the world of LLMs, anybody can write something that, that looks authoritative has all the features of authoritative text without knowing what they're talking about at all. Uh, and so you got to go elsewhere. You got to get off the page. Um, and I, I think it just makes these skills all the more pressing.
0: Yeah, it seems it just linking it back to something we talked about a minute ago is like the what's the, you know, what is the agenda or, you know, viewpoint of the person. But when you're looking at information on the internet, but there's no viewpoint, there's no perspective to these LLMs, the chat GPT. And that's almost, it's almost a different kind of danger when, when it's spitting out things that look like authoritative or glossily, you know, like correctly formatted text that might sound scientific or scholarly, but there's, there's
1: really no, uh, no soul slash like core to it. There's no, yeah, there's no core. I mean, you can't, you can't really ask does chat GPT, know what it's talking about. Cause it's just, it's like, um, it's like a category error you know there's there's no um <laughs> there, there, there's no no way this talking about for chat gpt right so so it so you, you need to find you, you need to find ultimately you're going to need to find a um you need to find a source where you can evaluate uh their expertise and their and their history of being careful with the truth um and that's not going to be um it's not going to be chat gpt and uh you know hopefully if you're careful it won't be Uh, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about that, you know, just pumped a prompt into uh, an LLM and spit out some unchecked text on the internet. You know,
0: novices are the students who are using ChatGPT to try to get them to, to have their essay written by the bot. And it sounds like, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like maybe this won't be as big of an issue after all if if it's so bad at it or it's worse than it people might think. Um, it might look good, but to the expert professor or teacher, it's going to be clear. I, I don't know how
1: how are you? What are do you think it's possibly being overhyped? I mean, I think one of the things that this has really highlighted for us is that we rely on the surface appearance of things more than we like to admit. And I think that's something that professors are dealing with right now too, right? You know, generally, if you can talk in a fairly authoritative way about a subject, it doesn't mean that you're the smartest person on the subject, but it means that you have at least some level of understanding. If, if you, if you can correctly sort of use the, the terms of the field, etc. It means you, you have some. Ha, generally, you can't do that without some sort of knowledge, some sort of understanding.
0: Yeah, it has been a blue ribbon. It has been something that signified.
1: Yeah, it's been something that signifies, right? Yeah, and and um, and now that's gone, right? And now, like, you know, so so I, so I do think that um, I do think it it poses some problems, and you know, I, I've talked elsewhere about rethinking um. You know, rethinking uh, uh, classroom assignments and stuff, and in, in terms of uh, ChatGPT, but um, you know, fundamentally, you know, you want, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a much deeper subject talking about the problems of ChatGPT and education. I think it, I think in this particular instance, um, th- this thinking about what it, the book itself. And like, there's some chapters that go into this much more deeply uh, about sort of you know the epistemolo- epistemological questions, like how we know what we know, what it means to say you know something. Um, not like really deeply; it's not like an extended philosophical text, but in ways the students can understand. Like, what, what what does it mean to say that we have you know what philosophers uh, have called justified true belief, right? And um, and I think. That question is sort of at the core of, 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 of this sort of LLM uh, debate too. And so um, I, I do hope that um, as people come to better understandings about what it means to know something, they come to better understandings about what AI is and what AI isn't um, and one of the things I would argue is it's not actually intelligence you know so maybe a i is the wrong the wrong uh the wrong word um but but I, I think there's a larger uh project here uh you know, and one that i, I think is is maybe my next step, which is um really communicating to, with students um getting students to really understand much more. Again, this what it means to what it means to know something, and um, and it, you know, sift is a is a mini model of that. Um, you know, to know something, you you want to know where it came from, why that source might be in a position to know, and what other people think about it. That's 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 knowledge of something, right? Um, knowledge is sort of socially constructed, right? Um, but I think there's there's sort of a broader project here that we have to engage in. Uh, uh, which is um, uh, putting that question of, of what it means to know something, what it means to have justified true belief uh, more at the core of, of the curriculum, uh, again, so that we can have, uh, we can think more, uh, uh, so that we can think better thoughts about um, about new, these new technologies as they emerge. Last question
0: Do you worry, you know, I guess like on a scale of one to 10, like how, you know, what is your reaction or or worry level now that ChatGPT is on the scene? Um, Is that going to make it harder for people to follow the advice in the book? Or, you know, is it, is it harder on a scale? Like, or, or is it not? Like, where does it fall? So
1: I don't, I don't think it makes it, I don't think it makes SIFT any harder i mean that's that's there's a couple assumptions there i mean we're assuming that you know sort of this manufactured content doesn't sort of overload the 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 search engines and things like that mean, so there's various things that can happen to the tools that we use they can be swamped by this stuff i don't think it makes sift any harder i do think it maybe means that people will have to apply it more uh you know that that uh yeah, I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the. I don't think the advice or the techniques really change that much. Um, I think it probably means if you think about SIFT as 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 you know um, you know stop investigate find better coverage and trace. Um, I think it probably affects the S more than the other letters. Uh, that uh, it does mean that maybe we're going to have to stop. Uh, a little more, Um, but that after you stop, I think the, I think the procedures are the, tend to be the same. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I hope, (laughs) I hope we, we, as we think about uh, these technologies that, um, uh, that, uh, you know, the platforms and other tech players, um, you know, do their part so that we're not just sort of swamped with uh, bullshit. Um, that we're not swamped with um just that we're not swamped with uh you know this sort of uh, uh low quality um deception or high quality deception yeah i, ho- I hope as, as things go uh as things go forward I hope that the platforms and the um uh tech companies uh, do their part to make sure that we 're not just completely swamped uh with um you know, these false things, uh, uh, that, that can be now generated so easily. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, I think, uh, I think most of the letters stay the same. Uh, it's just that, that S, uh, you're going to just be stopping a little bit more for a while until we figure out how to deal with this situation.
0: All right. I think I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you. It's my pleasure. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week we bring you conversations like this one. If you like the show, please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you can keep up with the show by signing up for our Ed Surge podcast newsletter. Just go to edsurge.com and click on the word newsletter to subscribe. This week's episode was put together by me, Jeff Young. You can find me online at jeffyoung.net or on Twitter. I guess now it's called X at JR Young. Editing this week by Rebecca Koenig, and music by Komaku. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thank you for listening.